When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you like the, the, the being labelled as heavy metal? Well, it, it's a little misleading. I, I think there's a certain heaviosity to what I do, but I think that uh, in general the scope of my music is a little bit broader than right. that term would imply. Rock Me Tonight was a video that you were somewhat dissatisfied with. Is that true? Well, I think that in the end, it, it possibly created a false impression of what of what the band was about. Okay, so the the premise here is that back when Eric Miller was still a part of the Pods and Sods network, a a prolific a prolific podcaster for a while there. Oh, I'm still part of it. Uh, when yeah, I was right. active. yeah. I mean, that you had a. Uh, I guess your downfall was you were too prolific <laughs> and you got burned yeah. out, right? I did get because you out. were really uh, churning out the episodes there for a while, and. Oh, nice. um, and one of the th- one of the things you had going because you had, you also had all these multiple series of episodes you had in progress at the same time, yeah. And one of them was this series where we did an episode for every Billy Squire album called "Songs of the Night," and we had made it to hear knowledge. What is that? His sixth album? Is this? Yeah, this, this is, is album number seven. Right. So we did six episodes of "Songs of the Night," and we made it through "Here and Now," which is my favorite Billy Squire album. And same. Yeah, and Eric's too. I don't remember. I know we did our we ranked the albums right on one of those episodes, yeah, and I, I was wondering. Yeah, I was wondering where I put Creatures of Habit because it might be my second favorite. I'm oh, not yeah? sure. Either this uh, or Don't Say No, obviously. But yeah. So for you, I it, goes, I... it goes it goes oh. Happy Blue and then Creatures of Habit. <laughs> <laughs> You guys should be thanking me that I cut it off before we got to Happy Blue. Because I was, the whole time, I was like, you motherfuckers are going to sit through Happy Blue, and you're going <laughs> to like it, and I'll tell you why it's great, and you guys are, like, dragging your feet, I don't know. So you should you should be thanking me that you that we didn't get to that punitive Well, episode. I hope we get to Happy Blue someday, just so we could shit all over it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure, almost certain, I bought this album the day it came out, because... Really? Yeah, because I was such a big fan of Here and Now. And I would go to the record store every Tuesday, and they had a display where they would have the new releases out. Yeah. And back then, you know, 
how many times on a po- on one of these podcasts of us and our friends does somebody say before the internet? But uh-huh. <laughs> but back then it. I knew about a lot of what was coming out because of magazines and stuff, but there would still be stuff that you didn't know about, you know. you'd I would mm-hmm. go to the record store and I would see it there and I didn't even know it was coming out that day, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Which I don't know if that's what happened with this, but I'm almost certain I would have bought this on release day just because I would go there with my allowance or I had a summer job. I always had enough money to go on two, every Tuesday and buy one or two new releases. It was a ritual, practically. So I would assume, because I loved here and now so much, I would assume I went and bought this the day it came out. Yeah, I think I did the same, actually. I got on fully with here and now as well, so I must have known about this in advance, right? Yeah, you would get, like, each record store might have their own kind of newsletter, quote, magazine type of thing. Mm -hmm. You would have upcoming releases, or they'd have a chalkboard or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I definitely would have gotten this the day of release on cassette at the time. Yep, cassette for me, too. As you guys know, because I mentioned it years ago when we were talking about him before, my I wasn't really paying super close attention to Billy Squire until later in life. I was too distracted by Jeremy Rogers. <laughs> to, and uh, but anyway, I don't. I was thinking of getting ready to talk. I don't even remember seeing this in stores. You know, I we were all this cut from the same cloth, except I wasn't actively looking for Billy Squire. But I was going into record stores every week too and looking at the new arrival section and stuff like that i don't even i never knew this album existed until i started getting into billy in the early 2000s or so it probably got lost between like information society and uh Uh, bicycle works right you're probably right yep yep you're right the new aha and the new uh you know whatever you didn't you said i don't think you got that in the store though did you isn't that another story? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all know how you get sure. your aha releases. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I think that just came up on Records Revisited on one of the most recent it episodes, did. didn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know how I keep doing this to myself. <laughs> Dropping yeah. these stories and then they live on like that. It's awesome. Yeah, no, it's great. With something like this, the average record store might got might have had like two copies in stock, you yeah. know, and once those were yeah. gone, that was pretty much it because you know, this didn't get any traction. It what it says on Wikipedia is it only sold eighty five thousand copies, which mm-hmm. at the time yeah. of deletion, which, you know, I would take eighty five thousand listeners to the podcast. So mm-hmm. it's when you say only eighty five thousand, that's uh That seems like I mean, at the time for this era, that seems like a terribly low number, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For for Something the enough. for the time period. Well, I'm curious how the two. Of, I mean, if you two bought this around the time it came out, do you remember liking it? Do you remember hearing anything on the radio? I sure don't. I loved do it, remember... but no, I don't remember. Okay. I don't even remember a video on MTV at all. No. Uh-uh. In yeah, from memory, was, I don't think there were any videos from this. But I'll talk about a little bit of that when we get to the first single. Okay. Uh, it it did get a little bit of airplay in Philly and stuff. Yeah, okay. I don't. But you remember, remember liking the the tape when you came home. You liked it. Yes. You weren't disappointed. Yes, I liked yeah, it a lot. And at that age, you know, I was twenty, and I loved here and now so much. Like, there kind of wasn't. There was no way I wasn't going to like it. To be honest, right? I was yeah. predisposed okay. to like it. Mm-hmm. So. It definitely wasn't here and now too, though. That's for sure. But I, I, yeah, I liked it a lot. Definitely played it a think- lot. And I don't think it aged as well as here and now. Like this is one of the records for me that hasn't aged as well. 
uh, in his catalog. But we can talk hmm. about it as we go. Yeah, here and now it has has definitely has better production, or at least less dated production. Um, mm. I guess because mm. it's raw and uh, maybe less produced than this one is. It just mm. seems like more of a rock, just more of a band based album. This has, I guess, a little more production. Might be what it is. Mm. But um, I mean, I hear a lot of throwbacks to pre here and now Billy Squire on this, as opposed to here and now. It was kind of a slight, maybe, attempt at a reinvention. I mean, not drastic, not a drastic change, but it didn't seem like he was trying to harken back to Don't Say His Glory Days, you know, Don't Say No or whatever. And you hear, there's a few songs on here where it sounds like it's trying to recreate Don't Say No to me. Interesting. Yeah, I want to hear you talk about that. I I never had that thought. Yeah. Mm. I don't. I don't. I don't think I had that thought back then. But um, well, th- I mean, I'm t- we're talking about the production. This is pr- also produced by Godfrey Diamond, who produced here and now with right. Billy. But um, it sounds I a lot different. Look him, I think I meant to look him up. What else has Godfrey done? Do you know? No, I didn't look into that. Um, yeah, he he uh, uh, he did an Aerosmith record, BJ. Uh... I can't think of which one. Would it have been around the same time? Permanent Vacation, Pump? Um, no, that's like that. Imbalance, right? Or uh, was Fairbairn, Did Fairbairn do? Fairbairn, yeah. Um, I think Valance is a producer. Yeah, I'm, he's a songwriter, you're right. It's Fairbairn. So it's he did some Aerosmith like late 70s, not one of their big ones. Oh, okay. oh did he? Okay. Did he? Yeah, I'm Got not sure. Night in the Ruts or something? Mirrors, one of those, I forget. But... Um, if you look at him on Wikipedia, his credits include Frank Sinatra, Luther Vandross, a few folks like that. But I don't know in what capacity. Okay. Right. Yeah, so this was released on April 9th, 1991. Yeah, 91. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was looking for context, and it's like a week after this came out is was the first time Nirvana ever played Smells Like Teen Spirit live. <laughs> oh, wow. wow, really? So, yeah, this was... Yeah, I mean, this... Any artist in the vein of Billy Squire well, wasn't going to have much longer mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of you know mm-hmm. the record chart, the album charts. Yeah, I was looking at what other records came out that month. I don't have the list handy, but um, like Lenny Kravitz, "Mama Said" was one. Mm. Um, Temple of the Dog came out this month. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Oh. Yeah, but of course, nobody knew what that was for a while. That was it was. That didn't become popular until it had been out for what, like over a year, I think. Right. You know, once uh, Pearl Jam hit and then Soundgarden hit, and then MTV started playing the, the Hunger Strike video, and mm-hmm. that's when that kind of took off. But yeah, it was definitely a a, a sign of things to come that this yeah. was released right at the same time as Temple of the Dog. Yeah. Yeah. It was an it was an interesting time for. What what you would now call legacy artists, but they weren't really, you know, that wasn't a term back then, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, you know, the 38 specials and the Kansases and the, you know, Billy Squires, right? Rick Springfield, even like folks like that, where they weren't, they weren't necessarily in the top 40 anymore, right? They weren't mm-hmm. a singles act, but you know, some of them might be getting a second chance, no pun intended, you know, <laughs> a new deal like that happened with Kansas on MCA, right? Mm-hmm. But Billy Billy was in a unique position where I think it was after Don't Say No or maybe even 
after Tale of the Tape, he signed like this seven record deal, right? Mm-hmm. Like he signed this, it was this huge de- long term deal, um, which would be unheard of nowadays. Like at that point in time, you know, most people would get signed for two albums, right? At most, right? And then see how it goes with options, right? But he had gotten signed for seven records. So that's why, that's why Capital, you know, he was with Capital through Tell the Truth. And I think, I think the greatest hits that came after that, um, that maybe that Reach for the Sky package might have fulfilled that original deal that he signed with them. He wasn't going to get dropped, in other words. They would have had to have bought him out or something like that. Mm. So even if he wasn't, and, you know, I'm kind of sharing this all from memory. So if anyone's listening to this and thinking, you know, yelling at me that I'm wrong, but, you know, I think that was the case. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard him talk about that openly at the time. You know, like, you know how Janet Jackson signed that huge deal when she went to Sony, right? It was that kind of thing. Yeah. But for Billy Squire earlier, you know, in the first two, three records, it paid off, you know, and then, you know, less and less with each subsequent record. So, yeah. Hmm. And I I remember hearing him talking about an interview one time where, you know, he did not like his photo being on the cover. Like he, he didn't want to. If I remember the way he phrased it was he didn't want to be like a box of Wheaties or something like that. Oh. He was the product, you know, so that's why the album artwork here is it probably was a compromise between a photo and then some, you know, artistic rendering of, of him. Right. Uh, yeah. And then by the time he gets to tell the truth, it's just the eye of Horace. Right. So he kind of got his way a little bit more or maybe capital just stopped fighting him because it wasn't really worth it. Right. They were just kind of riding out who knows yeah yeah the earlier records that's why you know obviously they you know andy warhol they put money into those album covers right and he was uh-huh. he was an attractive face that they could sell right right and by the time we get to a post bon jovi era you know that's not that's not working for billy squire anymore in that market right huh. so, yeah i sense. like the cover of this album i do too i like the colors uh, it's very of its time um, everything you're saying though makes a lot of sense, Eric, because he's he's clearly kind of hiding behind something. It's only half his face. He's got shades. It's animated or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, he's kind of slipping into the background. But I don't think that it, what's interesting to me, uh, in light of everything you just said, is the thing I keep coming back to when I listen to this album is that he's still trying and. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, it's we think about Billy in the context of his career as this is, you know, things are almost over. You know, his he's not popular anymore. People are wondering what's going on. That video killed so many things. But he, this album doesn't sound like a guy who's bogged down by those by that baggage. Mm-hmm. This, al- this album sounds like a guy who's still trying really hard and putting his all into this stuff. And it, I just as I'm listening to it, I'm wondering, does he? Is he aware of what's coming? Are people in his ear saying your career might be over? Because this is the last gasp of a trying Billy Squire. He would never be this Billy, Billy Squire again. Because the, the next album is just anger and paranoia and frustration. And then happy blue, sad blue is totally different, you know? So this yeah, is I the think... last of the Billy Squire that we know and love. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's interesting. Like, it, I, I wouldn't frame... Tell the truth as the way you just said it, paranoia and angry, right? The song angry, but through the way you just said it right there, and I never thought about this before, maybe tell the truth is post trying, therefore mm-hmm. liberated, right? Maybe yeah, not yeah. 
yes, there's some bitter in there, but you know, like some. I mean, we're not talking about tell the truth here, but there's songs, song, some songs on there that probably sound freer than trying to write kind of hits still. Probably, yeah. because I think that the the theme of that album is his bitterness, like you said. It's yeah. and he likes that album. I, I more than the rest of us do. I think because he feels like he nailed how he was feeling at the time. Yeah. Whereas this is this album is still full of songs he's hoping that we'll get on the radio, you know, and get in front of people. Nice. And uh, he, he's never that guy again. And that's what I mean. When he's writing this and he's putting his all into it, and these songs are great, is someone in the back of his mind, does he know, my career's in the toilet. This is only, is this a last gasp? Is this just him doing what he does? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe here and now is more that. Like if, you know, if here and now, if here and now was as great as it was, and had some of the co-writers on there, it did, and you know that was that was a shot, at like BJ said, a bit of reinvention. And if that didn't mm-hmm. hit, then well, now what? You know what I mean? So uh, he's, he's probably a little bit, maybe it's a half step between. Well, let me try this, but it's you know, yeah. it's it's a, it's not here and now, and it's not fully liberated like, you know. I mean, whether you guys recognize it or not, Happy Blue is is liberated. He's just doing whatever the fuck he mm-hmm, wants, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's he's not he's not living in a radio single mentality at all. You know, right? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Here and now was definitely a a big swing at a comeback, yeah. and it seems like a yeah, it seems like a comeback record that just didn't it didn't hit. Yeah, but it was a big attempt through no fault of his own. It's let's right. No, that's what I was thinking right. too. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean he, he did everything right. He right he did everything right to make it a comeback album. It just you know he, there was so much competition at the time and that kind of music, and it just didn't connect. But yeah, uh, yeah it feels like on this record he just made a really good Billy Squire album. Yeah. Because he could, because like you said, he had the record deal. He had the, he has the talent to write the songs, so he he just made it because he could more than anything. It seemed you know, like why not? He he's he's got the deal with Capital and he can make a record. So why not do yeah. it? Yeah, and like you said, it's a crowded marketplace, and you know, I always I always think of you know, artists like McCartney or Springsteen, right? Like those guys, I mean, in 2022, neither of those guys could have a, a quote hit, right? You know, so you know, somewhere between the 80s and now, you know, radio artists or artists like that, just iconic. Stevie Wonder couldn't have a hit now, right? These guys mm-hmm. just—it's we're not in that world anymore, right? So that was a gradual thing. So at this point in time, in '91, you know, could Bruce have had a hit? Could McCartney have had a hit? Whatever, right? We're kind of moving away from, I hate to sound like an old guy, but some of that that quality, good, iconic stuff and moving more into, you know, color me bad, I want to sex you up or whatever, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, they, you know, the, the marketplace was crowded. What would then ultimately become known as legacy artists weren't really appealing to young people on the radio, you know. You know, Billy, you would get quirky things here and there like if you know the scorpion singing about the berlin wall with a catchy whistle that's going to be a hit right but you know scorpions couldn't get a hit otherwise right you know what i'm saying 
Yeah. And, you know, Billy was just lost in that shuffle. It was crowded. The business was changing. You know, he probably, like we're, we're kind of speculating here, he probably was this mixture of still trying to write the songs that he cared about with, with drive, but also being probably somewhat demoralized and having, you know, half interest from the label, if that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It, you know, there's nothing in that recipe is going to lead to a ton of success, I wouldn't think. Right. Yeah, it would have been, I, I'd love to know where his head was at when he made this album. Yeah. He probably didn't have high hopes for it. I think he had much higher hopes for here and now, probably, than he yeah. had for this. Um, and it's really a matter of what legacy artist the label wants to get behind. I mean... Billy Joel had River of Dreams shortly yes. after around this time. And Bruce put out the Better Days and Lucky Town and then Streets of Philadelphia. And that's, I mean, he still had his moments too. Phil, Phil Collins is going, he's getting divorced and his music's getting weirder, but they're still playing a little bit of it. You know, at least a, a Trojan horse first single off of an album just to see what happens. But Billy can't get arrested, you know? Right. No. In fact, if you look at allmusic.com, the first line of the review for this album says sometimes you just have to feel sorry for billy squire (laughs) i I don't i never i i don't at all man i I know but in hindsight i mean i see where they're coming from i mean that i feel that way too a guy like him puts (laughs) out you know create a quality work for a sustained period of time and people think he's weird so they don't give him a chance his label the radio no one you know fuckers (laughs) <laughs> they're wrong they, they are out. wrong we know that now yeah so we're getting into track by track yeah we can jump into the the track by track i know in the past episodes we decided what order we gonna we were gonna talk in so that we didn't uh overlap i think was your idea eric so sure. so who wants to start first when we talk about the songs whatever you want you can switch it up if you just want to play host, BJ, and say, okay, next up is She Goes Down. John, what are your thoughts on that? Or, okay, now we have Lover. Eric, what do you think about Lover? You can <laughs> delegate, or we can okay keep the same sequence each time. Your call. So the first track is Young at Heart. John, what do you think of <laughs> Young at Heart? <laughs> <laughs> So you say you know the hands of time. If you don't look now, your life won't lie. Jack and Jill conquered the hill, but even still, they had to pay the bill. Well, DJ, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> I actually love it. I think it's a great album opener. I think whatever's happening in that intro that's sort of calling back to his previous work slash glory days is a fun reminder. One of the things that really struck me in listening to this album and dissecting it for this is that more than any any of his other albums that I could think of, there's at least four songs on here where he seems to be offering advice, life advice. As an as an elder statesman saying here, let me let me tell you, kids, let me give you some advice. Hmm. Try to stay young at heart. It's important that you do. Hey, 
And he's never played that elder statesman role that I can think of. Um, he was always just a rocker, straightforward, you know? But this song and a few of the others, I'll point them out when we get there, seem to be him offering life advice, which was never a role he had played before. Um, I don't know. I, in reading over the... It's funny. I was in getting ready to talk. I pulled out my CD and I'm looking at the lyrics and they're so the print is so small. I could barely see them. And I just shows that I'm getting older because the younger me could have read them easily. And now I really have to strain to read the <laughs> lyrics of my CD booklet. But anyway, they I'm not saying any of this is deep wisdom. In fact, a lot of it is cliches. The lyrics on this album are not great. They're not bad. They're just very they're base level. But uh, this is a different Billy Squire, an older, wiser Billy Squire. So you say over oh, the hands of time, if you don't look now, your life won't lie. Jack and Jill conquered the hill, but even still, they had to pay the bill, right? <laughs> Yeah. Well, every time I hear that, every single time I think, is he doing that first person thing and calling himself the bill? Right? Ooh. Uh. <laughs> right? Pay the bill. Every time. Oh. The very first time I heard it that way, and I still hear it that way every time, right? Yeah, his rapper name was Slippery B, in case you guys didn't pick that up on the uh, minor notes. <laughs> no, it's not Slippery B. Wow. Yeah, rap by Slippery B. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think this is just everything that John said, I think is absolutely spot on. It's a great record opener, high energy, exactly like you'd hope and expect, right? Um, there's a really great sort of dropout in here and bass flourishes. You know, I, I get what you're saying about the lyrics on some of these, John, but I, there's some good lines in here, I think. Mm. You know, and again, especially, you know, if I listen to it now as a man of whatever I am, 51. You know, versus a boy of 20. You know, as a boy of 20, you know, they're not quite as cliche to me quite yet. I'm, mm. as, you know, and, and I'm still actively listening to the Kiss, right? So that's my level of depth sure. at, at 20, right? So, yeah, I like a lot of the lyrics that he, that he says in here, you know. And, you know, you're still maturing at 20. So, you know, a lot of these things either inform or, inform or confirm your sort of worldviews or your you know, independence or your confidence and so forth, right? So a lot of these, I like what you said about him being an elder statesman. I never thought it through that, through that prism before. Mm -hmm. And it probably, it probably hit me at 20, you know, mm -hmm. which is a good thing. You know, it's got a good Billy, you know, woo in here. You know, yeah. Blues are always great coming out of the solo. I, you know, I think it's one of, it's, if you like Billy, like if you're, if you're down to like Billy, I can't imagine you not liking this song. Great. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, I would say if you were a fan of Don't Say No, why wouldn't you like this song? I think you obviously would if you heard it, if you bothered to give it a chance, right? But yeah, it's a great chorus. It's a great opening for the album. It's a very energetic song. It basically has every element of a classic Billy Squire song. It's all here. 
Um, we're probably gonna, we're probably going to say that with every song. Yeah. Like, if you like Pimp's Fire, why the fuck do you not like this song? <laughs> well, if, you? A few of these are definitely a departure, <laughs> at least a slight yeah. departure. But um, uh, one thing I noticed about the lyrics is he says at one point he says you can't be too wise, and that kind of is the opposite of staying young at heart. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So you can't have too much wisdom, but also you should stay young at heart. I guess it's about finding a balance, maybe, between the two. But yeah. um, it, me of, it reminds me of life is a journey, not a destiny. <laughs> like, if, if you will, life is a, a highway. If you will, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so moving on to the next song, She Goes Down. What do you think of She Goes Down, Eric? <laughs> uh, so this was the first single, and you guys said you didn't remember the, any airplay. This got some traction in Philly on like rock radio, WMMR, which is still an active independent station. It's great. He appeared on Howard Stern to promote this record. He didn't play this live, but I remember, you know, Howard would play the new single and he would play 10 seconds and pause it and, you know, crack a joke about the lyric and stuff, right? So this got the Howard Stern treatment when Billy was in there. And, you know, I remember Billy kind of, you know, Howard is obviously having fun with the title as she goes down, right? That's Mm -hmm. not particularly subtle, right? But he's right, you know, he's, Billy would write double entendre, right? Mm-hmm. So I remember in that interview him saying something, you know, oh, it's, it's more like she goes deep into your soul. Like she goes, you know, she goes deep. You know, that's what she goes down. Mm-hmm. And I remember even, even, you know, young me was like, come on, man. not talking about fellatio right he's you know he's trying to write around that and be clever so he's trying you know he's he knows what he's trying to do right for the song like that opening like just grabs you right that's billy's strengths you know writing just a catchy ass riff that will pull you in right and you know i like that he kind of starts off the first like delivery on the first opening lines is a bit subdued, and then he gets into his upper register kind of normal vocally scream thing that he does. Right? There's a good amount of cowbell in here, which I will point out is pre-cowbell sketch. And the, you know, I I always love that line. It, she's got the love that comes in colors. I know it's a silly, probably throwaway line, but I just like that line. And then probably I don't know if John, you're going to reference this, but at the end there's the synth sound on the yeah. outro that sounds almost like horns right yeah i thought that too i knew you'd like that yeah this um i mean there's a, the obvious stones uh riff to kick it all off i mean it's straight out of the stones playbook the thing <laughs> talking about fellatio you went there eric so i'll go there with you <laughs> oh, um, <clears throat> well in the first the very beginning of the song if i can read this because the writing's so small walks into your life so effortlessly makes you swallow I'm thinking it's kind of a weird role reversal there. If we're talking about going down and I'm the one swallowing, that's not how this works normally. 
she doesn't make me swallow. But anyway, um, that is a that is a subset of a, there's a, there's a, that is a thing. There's oh, the, it is. Well, the, yeah, is a, called felching or something. <laughs> that the term. <laughs> Here we go. It's a it's song about felching. Why, Eric he, Miller is going to tell us all about it. Howard Stern would have loved that if he just told him it was a song about felching. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that word in like decades. <laughs> I can't believe I pulled that out. <laughs> well, I mean, if we looked at your search history on Pornhub, yeah, true. <laughs> it's, it's it's Jeremy Rogers and Felching. <laughs> An RSS feed for Felching. <laughs> um. All right, it's kicked off already on track two. That's great. First time <laughs> Felching has come up on the podcast. But, yeah. um, anyway, yeah. I, <laughs> this is funny. I've got a lot of this kind of stuff coming up in, a, in future s- songs, so All I don't right. know if I want to blow my entire load on She Goes Down, so to speak. But... <laughs> I don't want to blow your load. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, I, I, it's just, a fun uh, song. And it, oh, what were you saying, Eric? <laughs> I, just, I just Googled the definition of felching. <laughs> Want me to share? Yeah, please, because I could never Google that on my home computer. There's no way. It's I don't know. App. I don't know how the Pantheon podcast network feels. <laughs> the felching discussion. It's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> their own. I've gone blue. <laughs> this is the definition of felching. We're happy blue right now, yeah. Fucking off rails. <laughs> out or whatever. So, felching. Uh, and then parenthetical and bold. Sucking or eating semen out of someone's <laughs> anus. Oh, God. <laughs> out of someone's anus? <laughs> felching is a sexual behavior about which virtually nothing has been written in the scholarly literature, despite the fact that it appears to be a not uncommon practice among certain subpopulations of men who have sex with men. Okay, okay. But I guess she could make Billy Squire swallow in that case. I love uh, I'm not just trying uncommon to think of a practice among a subset. That's right. like, it's, not a, it's not an uncommon practice among these four guys. <laughs> I mean, what does I just... that mean? <laughs> That is on, I will point out that is from NIH.gov, but there's also an Urban Dictionary definition, which is probably a little more colorful. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I won't share that one. (laughs) (laughs) You can look it up yourself. Okay. (laughs) Homework. Yes. I I got nothing left to say about what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, great Stonesy riff. I've lost. I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, my my notes about this song are that it's um it sounds very eighties for for nineteen ninety one. Like this could have been a hit in eighty five, but yeah. maybe in ninety one it didn't have as much of a of a potential. I don't know. It's but probably th- too racy. The, the title is probably too racy for eighties, right? When you think, yeah, I was kind of surprised it was a single because it. it Pretty much says it all right there, you know. Yeah. Well, there was a song. Motley Crue had a song called the, the same title on Doctor Feelgood, and I swear there's another. 
song that had the same title. China. I don't remember though. But um, I, I this this again is Billy knocking it out of the park though. I mean, you know, he's he's making a Billy Squire record, and this is a classic Billy Squire song, pretty much in every in every way. I think it. I have that. It sounds more like Emotions in Motion than Don't Say No. It's kind of more mm. would fit would fit more on that record. But um, sure. If you know, if uh, if Billy Squire, if you're gonna have a Billy Squire single, this is a pretty good one. I I would think just in terms of what some what fans would expect from Billy Squire, right? <laughs> So moving on to the next song, Lava. <laughs> what do you think of Lava, Eric? Uh, this, so it's the third track here, and he's he's getting a little more introspective out of the gates. It's kind of, we're settling in a little bit, right? This is one of those songs that does a thing that I'm not, I always kind of find off-putting. Like, I like when lyrics are specific, like when Springsteen writes a specific, you know, year of a car or, you know, describes a smell or something like that, right? Or something very visual right that we all can kind of relate to that paints a bigger bigger picture i like that but when lyrics are too specific in an autobiographical sense like it kind of is off-putting to me right so this is him almost kind of cataloging some i guess of his key relationships right you know i I like it at the time because again i'm 20 years old and i'm gonna like it but 20 year old me couldn't relate to you know some of this stuff right so it, it was too specific for me to like hook into it as a kid you know what i mean but it's it's got the usual hooks and dynamics and a solid chorus and all that stuff but it's not not a favorite you know um yeah and the, the way you said lava um it it also reminds me of that snl the hot tub like when it was will ferrell and rachel dratch mm-hmm. where they you know like it's it's this older pretentious like i'm not i'm not there yet at 20 or i don't know it just was off-putting to me and that, you know, again, I don't like the specifics of an autobiographical song. It doesn't grab me as much. I don't want to hear about your specifics. I want it to be somewhat universal that I can connect to it. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't hate it, just not a favorite. Yeah, this is definitely my least favorite song on the album. I think the verses sound a lot like House of the Rising Sun. Like, it's really, mm. it's, it strikes me as similar okay. to that. I have never liked the word lover in song lyrics, and I think that's exactly what that Saturday Night Live sketch is getting at. It's just there's something about that word that's annoying yeah. or off-putting or something. I don't know. So yeah, this this song, it's not horrible or anything, but um, like I said, I think this is the worst song on the album. And it's coming in at track number three. so mm-hmm. And it's almost five minutes long. But I guess most of the songs in here are pretty four or five minutes. That's true. They're all almost five. 
I have a lot of thoughts about this song. First of all, I think it's so for a guy that is doesn't let you in on his private life very much, even to this day, to sing about and there's so there's a there's a romance in there where he's 19 and she's 25. I think it's a different woman. There's someone in Australia in 1981 that he sings about in here. It. Um, I just want to know specifics about that. I'm with you, Eric. Maybe it is my least favorite song in the album. And back then, when I'm 18 years old, I probably don't care. But now, looking under the microscope and sleuthing the what's going on with Billy Squire, it's so interesting to me how specific he is about some of these details. If he's listing, let's say he's got three women in here, right? If you're woman number four and you're the important one, you'd be like, hey, man, what the fuck? <laughs> that you're singing about. How come, you know, we met in San, I don't hear, we met in San Diego. I don't hear a verse about San Diego in there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah, Hollywood. Um I guess I could start one. This this song is very interesting. The the verse is like a Motown, like a soul pop kind of song, kind of eighties production, and then the chorus hits, it's a great rock and roll chorus. So it's a very cool arrangement. I think they really pull it off. It it's kinda could have gone sideways with what they were doing here with the contrast between the verse and the chorus, but um I think it really works, and there's a great bridge. Uh, this is a great song, I think.
Yeah, what do you think, John? Um, I like it a lot. It, uh, it's got that kind of Elvis Costello pump it up, driving mm-hmm. drum beat, mm-hmm. bass line, the whole thing. Um, it, it did make me wonder, did Billy himself ever go to Hollywood? He strikes me as someone who stayed East Coast, like, probably the entire time. So um, I was surprised. I'm a little surprised that he has a song, again, offering, you know, advice to others about coming to Hollywood and what you might be coming to Hollywood for. People from Maine to Arizona come to get their star on the Walk of Fame. And, uh, I mean, I understand what he means conceptually, that anyone striving for fame or fortune or whatever has to put up with a lot of crap but i just was trying to think i don't know that he himself ever quite went the hollywood route but um yeah it's a really fun song this is another one that might have been a single i don't know that it would have been a hit but it's um i I really like the driving beatedness of it nice yeah i agree with everything you say um it's got fun vocal stuff going on here too right like with the uh Saw you dancing on the dot and I'm, oh yeah. It's like all these cool little fun vocal things happening in here. BJ, you gotta let you gotta pull that. It's a shame, shame, shame for your uh, no shame episodes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Next time you're doing a compilation for that, think of Hollywood. I agree with what you guys say. I I was thinking just contextually of the time and just to I don't really feel this is true, but just as a thought, I'm gonna offer this up. Um, what was that thing that that he said on episode one? We were he was trying to write thoughtful. What was that thing that he said? He he branded himself as like a thoughtful. Mm. Remember that BJ thought we played on that for a while, didn't we? Yeah. Um, so this is this is him yeah, trying. I don't remember. This is him trying to write a smarter version of Poison's Fallen Angel. Oh yeah, what or, was that? Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but he was like rock and roll for smart people or something like that. Yeah. That, that was the feel of it. Oh, we feasted on that for a few episodes. I can't remember what that was now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it, his Hollywood is like a brighter welcome to the jungle, right? Yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> Fallen Angel. Good ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, this was, I always kind of thought this one was a bit of a throwaway, but I like what you guys said about it. I'm going to listen to it with fresh ears. I, I, I wouldn't have heard this as a single. And I didn't really hear like the the way you described the BJ. The chorus is a little bit more like R and B or soulful. However you phrase oh, it. Oh, the verse. Pretty... Yeah, the verse yeah. has like a kind of a Motown kind of yeah. feel. That's cool. Okay, so moving on to the next song, Conscience Point. What do you think of about Conscience Point, Eric? I like this song. Like, there's... Billy always has, like, a, a song or two or 
maybe even more later in his career where they're they're like he's not trying to write like you know whatever verse chorus bridge you know he's not trying to write a normal song structure mm-hmm. and he's not trying to write something that's you know necessarily sing-alongy right he's not trying to write a hit he's trying to write something a little more thoughtful um mm-hmm. and the the way i might describe it like this one and the, the next one actually there's a few on here like this where it's like and i i think it has to do with if you're a billy squire fan like the three of us right so i get this record i'm i'm gonna like it you know unless there's something egregious on here i'm i'm gonna listen to it enough where i do get it right so songs like this one and the next one um it's it's a bit more experimental um it's kind of like an acquired taste in a way like you know if you're a kid and you drink coffee you hate it or you're the first time you drink beer it's disgusting right but once you get kind of through it then you appreciate it more because it's not just you know simple fast food Mm. sugary sweet right there's there's other levels to this stuff right sort of more nuance in the taste if that makes sense and Mm -hmm. it really has a has has songs like that on each of his especially later records that I think fit into that category right and I think this is one of them you know where it's um, a little bit more experimental not trying to write a hit right um, lyrically I'm not entirely positive what he's talking about here he starts off with the Freedom Riders I'm sure that has nothing to do with the Freedom Riders in the 60s right but then there's right. this romantic angle that's that's an affair right but it's it's maybe this the conscience point is maybe the, the intersection of right and wrong whatever that means to you or whatever mm. the situation is okay. so not an actual place right yeah it's not like inspiration point like uh, you know from happy days or whatever um, but it's you know it's it's all all that is laid on top of Billy's normal strengths of great riffs you know playing inspired vocals right there's fun hand claps in here and stuff but mm-hmm. you know not going to be a radio hit this is probably not a song i'm going to lead off um if i'm trying to get somebody into billy squire you know sure. but you know for guys like us that are fans or people like us that are fans i think it's probably one where like hey this shows the deeper side of him and pr- I'm probably leaning into this more. It's probably more the next song, Nerves on Ice, but I think this one kind of fits into that. I wonder, I worry that it shows a depth that he thinks is there that regular people wouldn't think is there. Mm. Like I, uh, you know, someone who, we've, we've talked to people who think they're really profound and saying something really interesting and it turns out they're not and you don't, you feel kind of embarrassed for them. That's a little bit what for me is going on in this song. You want to I give mean, us an about, example of someone you've interviewed for the hustle? Probably. We were just talking about me and my explanation of this song, really. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm turning the tables on you, Eric. Um, no, because he's talking about we're going to run the roads tonight and go to a place to relax. Clouds roll by. Nothing matters. Leave the past behind. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think. So is conscious point, is that a state of mind? Is that an actual place? He's taking somebody there. Are they tripping? Is he just trying to lead some relaxation or some, is he trying to lead like a meditation? I don't know. Did they just watch Batman? Maybe, (laughs) that's true. There's three hours of your life. 
<laughs> so it, uh, yeah, I just wonder where he, what he's really talking about here, because he doesn't strike me as someone who, you know, offers life advice on finding your center and namaste, but he does in this song a little bit. I don't think you got my reference. Did they just watch Batman and change into their swimsuits? Wasn't that? Wasn't it Batman? Oh, oh, it was. Oh, sorry, I missed the Jeremy Rogers. Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh my gosh. You remember what movie we were watching? Yeah, Batman. It was at the hot tub in their garage. Oh, I, I listened to that episode on half speed alone at night with the lights off. Don't ask. <laughs> I really like this song, but the word conscience just, it's, you can't make a hook out of that word, you know, like, like the guys from Def Leppard always talked about how they didn't care about the lyrics, it's how they sounded, you know, Mm. and it's really hard to sing conscience, it's, it's not a good word to put in the chorus of a song, I don't think it, that's the only negative thing I would say about this song, I really like it a lot. It's very atmospheric, adventurous arrangement. I, I guess I noticed a certain level of kind of maybe Lindsey Buckingham kind of quirkiness. You know, it's um, mm. it's a very different song. I think you know back when this came out, I was seventeen, and I think, I think I remember liking a song like this. It was like, we- it's weird that I like this because you know, <laughs> like everything for me had to be some big chorus with a bunch of background vocals and. You know, this song really struck me for some reason. Well, I think it's a... It feels like a song from a movie. I think it's kind of a cinematic song. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like from a soundtrack mm-hmm. or... It puts you in like a Good movie point. scene. I don't know. Um, yeah. That's true. Yeah, so the next song, Nerves on Ice, um, I wrote that this sounds even more like uh, Don't Say No than Young at Heart. <laughs> well, there's a lot of the stroke. I hear a lot of the stroke in this song. Mm-hmm.
I don't know if he did that on purpose or not, or if that's, you know, it's just that's Billy Squire's style. Um, yeah, you know what? We didn't start to interrupt, but we didn't even mention, like, you know, that might have been part of his calculus of She Goes Down because he had such success with the double entendre of the stroke. Right. Right. Mm, sure. That was. Hey, I remember even. I, I mean, I can't believe we didn't touch on that. I remember that even as when I got it, thinking, well, that's obvious, right? Like, he's mm. trying to capture that. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, that's Good hilarious. Point. We were talking about, I don't know if she's go, she goes down would get on the radio and hear his biggest hit is Stroke Me, Stroke Me. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. So, yeah, that's yeah very true. Yeah, well, this has more synth horns for, for John. Or are those real? I think they're synth, right? I wondered the same thing. I assume they're synths, yeah. but I do love them either way. I don't think there's any horns credited on the record. So I, think I noticed that, too. Yeah, this, yeah the, um, when this song kicks in with the synth part, I think it's great. And I guess that's the actual chorus. It seems, there's almost kind of like two choruses in the song. Um. I love this. It's my favorite song in the album. I love, um, I think it's funny, not funny, but it, he references reading the papers and how, <laughs> you know, what a thing that would have been that when we all kind of got our information from one source. And uh, right. I love the epic coda. I'm a total sucker for songs that have those, you know, big, long conclusions or drawn out finales or whatever. If they're good, I love that kind of stuff. He, he says in there somewhere it could be a junkie like you. So I'm I think he says. I think he says. Now nah, could be a junkie. I don't know. Yeah. So well, yeah. Eric said it better. I mean, let's be honest. But so that's kind of a weird line. There, there are something I was going to mention before, but there are. I, I'd say half the songs on this album have some reference. Here we go again. Sorry, I don't mean to do this. Have some reference to going down or being brought down or upside down or get down or break us down or whatever. In fact, I made notes on some of the songs where now that's a word or an idea that or a theme that he goes back to a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, I don't know what it means, but someone's always trying to bring him down, get him down, take him down <laughs> all the time. Like half the songs in this album have that idea in there somewhere. That's interesting. Yeah, but uh, anyway, I love this song. It could go on another ten minutes, and I'd be fine. Yeah, I I like that. That's an interesting point. Because because lyrically, you know, those things aren't accidents, right? That has mm -hmm. that's subconsciously a perception of you know either his position relative to somebody else, or you know what I mean? Yeah, um, like a record label who's yeah. not marketing him and. You know, that's why I'm wondering if that's where his head is at. That's fucking awesome, John. Oh, thank you. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love looking for threads like that, too. That's really cool. The the one I got on this one is always, you know, 
especially on the last song on this record. He's got all these don't don't songs, right? Don't mm-hmm. do this, don't say love me, don't talk like that, don't do this, right? Yeah, that's another idea. Yeah, nerves are nice. This to me, this one's reminiscent of God, which is different Billy's. Mm-hmm. Like it's you know it's this like bombastic bold. The lyrics aren't nearly as good, right? But it, just in terms of the interplay between his lead guitar and the rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. And the you know the you know the listen roll over, you know all that stuff kind of reminds me of you know the work song and God, like that driving. I can't quite put my finger on a good descriptor of it, but you guys know what I mean. Doesn't mm-hmm. he say down on me in G.O.D. too? Some yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. See, that's yeah. what I mean. Going down and don't do things are, <laughs> con- are consistent themes in Billy's music. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, this is... I like that you guys said this is one of your favorites. It's one of my favorites on the record, too. This is one that I would crank up loud, you know. Yeah. But again, you know, it's one of those back to my acquired taste thing. I think if you tapped into what is great about Billy Squire, this is why songs like this stand out to you, right? If you're just mm. a casual fan, just the hits or whatever, I could see where this would probably be off-putting, right? You, mm. you know, confusing or something, you know? But uh, yeah, to me, this is one of the best ones on the record for sure. Nerves on ice. Okay, so the next song, Hands of Seduction, what I have is if Nerves on Ice was the stroke of this album, then this is the My Kind of Lover of this album. Billy Squire on autopilot like this is pretty easy for Billy Squire to write this is kind of just very almost generic a generic Billy mm. Squire song or mm. something and mm-hmm. I don't know about the hands of seduction I, it's that's almost conscience level of I don't know about that that phrase uh, kind of yeah. yeah I don't really like it like the I don't know what do yeah? What do hands of seduction look like? Are they like, <laughs> you know, are they seventeen years old dripping with hot tub water? Like, what is? What are the hands of... <laughs> we were. I don't think we were quite seventeen. That would have been a little old. <laughs> Sixteen, maybe. <laughs> this is not a bad song or anything, but this would pro- this would be my second least favorite song after Lover on here. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Not bad, but not the greatest. Yeah. Right kind of forgettable right i'm glad you said everything you said because in my notes i even have written down like i got nothing because it uh i mean it's it's not a bad song at all but it is very much billy by the numbers i really like the i do like the merging of synths with guitar licks in this song for some reason that synthesis makes it extra even a little bit more powerful but we're we're ignoring that this is where did you call him slippery b uh-huh oh yeah where's his head <laughs> Billy Squire raps in Hands of Seduction. And, uh, I, I mean, he does a, you know, he probably did as well as Debbie Harry or some other white person did at the time. So it's kind <laughs> of a curio. There's your favorite word. Kind of a curio for that matter or for that reason. 
But um, yeah, it's near the bottom. Okay, so moving on to the next song, Facts of Life. What do you think of Facts of Life, Eric? Um, this was the second single, oddly enough. Oh, there's was a it? C- there's a CD single of this that had a couple alternate mixes, mm-hmm. and it had B-side, which I'm, I can talk about at the end, called Don't Talk Like That, um, which is fucking awesome. Um, mm. Facts of Life is, I don't know, it's a decent song. I like it, but it's, it's a... It's a poor single, I think, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, his vocal delivery is a bit too affected, I think, not, like, radio-friendly. Like, I don't think he would be doing himself any favors if this landed on a program director's desk, right? And they were like, oh, let me get, let me see what Billy Squire's up to nowadays, right? You know, it's got a decent pre-chorus, but it's just, it's not going to be a hit. But as a Billy Squire, Squire fan, I, I still like it, right? There are lyrics in here, again, that uh, they resonate with me, right? Like, the... The line, the stones they throw, they roll off your back. And then he changes up later, the stones they throw, you throw them right back. I have those two lines in my notes. Yeah, I love that. Great. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And 20-year-old me hears that. I'm like, fuck yeah, Billy Squire. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, that's an awesome... I love I, I love that um, that technique or whatever that of change, slightly changing the lyrics on the next part. And yeah, I mean, that's just a great shift from they roll up your back to you throw them right back that's yeah those are that's great lyric writing and yeah yeah great yeah i don't have anything really profound to say about this other than it does harken back to that idea of him offering advice life advice being the wise old master it's still a great song and like you said there's some great lyrics in it i don't know that it stands out i always say when when i when i do a lot of these that there's always there always seems to be a song on an on these albums that you forget is there, like which 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 one's that again? Which one's the facts of life? Oh, that's the one that with the about going on the back down the. Okay, yeah, I remember that song. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good song. You know that this is that song where you're kind of like I don't do I know which one that is? I can't remember off the top of my head. Right. I actually like this song a lot, and I think. When this album came out, these were my favorite songs were this one and the next one. Like these two songs in a row, I think mm-hmm. were my favorites back when this was new. It, it, I think this, I wrote in my notes that this is maybe the song on this album that would have fit best on Here and Now, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. It's more of a rock production on this song. I, like I said, it, there's a lot of Tom Petty and like you, I hear Refugee and Running oh. Down a Dream and stuff in here, but. Um, yeah, this is just a, a driving rock song, which I like a lot, and I like the lyrics a lot. So, um, but yeah, it's not, you know, there's nothing really special about it. Right. But it's just a, like I said, a driving rock song. It just, uh, which, you know, is, is uh, I'm a sucker for. So. Yeah. 
if you get a chance, if I'm sure it's on Discogs and stuff, but if you don't know that song, Don't Talk Like That, it is on YouTube, the B-side. Um, okay. I would recommend looking it up because it's it could displace a couple songs on this record, in my opinion. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know it, but I, I, I checked it out on YouTube, and it's really good. Yeah, but I had never heard it before. Moving on to the next song, L-O-V-E, four-letter word. This is my favorite song on the album. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't... I was going to try to find... I know we picked our top ten Billy songs for one of these episodes, and I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't try to find it in my Google Docs or something, but... I'm sure this was probably in my top five. Uh, I don't remember exactly, but <laughs> this song is so corny and so cheesy, but I don't care. I love it. It's uh, yeah. so melodic, really great arrangement, so many hooks. This song is just loaded with hooks, you know? I, I love I love this song. I think it's really great, but obviously it's very cheesy, you know. <laughs> and for 1991, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. um, I mean, in 1991, I probably would have been embarrassed to tell anyone I liked this song. But really, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's <laughs> it really is, you know. There's something about the song that it's so. I don't know. Cheesy is probably the word, right? Is this is this the bang bang you of Billy Squire's cattle? <laughs> no, bang bang you is horrible. <laughs> that was in my wor- five worst Kiss songs of the '80s, I think, when I did that. But but of in terms of cheese, they're kind of going for the same thing, no? No, you don't think? Going for the I don't know. Paul Stanley's counting one, two, three, four, where oh, Billy's spelling, right. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, when I did that episode, I put the count from Sesame Street, edited him, edited him into that kiss song. <laughs> well, 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 the thing, like, um, it, it, this song, it's really funny when a song is cheesy but also emotional. Like, I, I totally get hooked in by the emotion in this song. You know, when he says, nobody told me, you know, love is just so <laughs> But I love the, you know, L is for losing... The love that you crave always when it's over. Some that maybe it's hard to take seriously, but I I, t- I took it seriously and really liked it. V is for Does the victim. E is for every morning. He know? changes. Doesn't he change? Yeah, and he changes them. He uses vengeance later. Right? Yeah, yeah, he uses vengeance, and E is for vengeance each and every night. Yeah. 
Lord. O is for overcoming. Yeah, I, I love this song. I think it's brilliant. I think it's it's uh, there's like I said, the melodies are great. There's a, it's just chock full of hooks, so, I love it. What do you think, John? Yeah, I agree. It um, it's definitely a highlight on the second half. And like I was saying earlier, that a song that kicks off with that cheerleading chant of L O V E with the big drum beat, you would think as soon as if you're listening, if you're driving along and that song comes on your rock radio station, I'm imagining you're turning it up. I mean, you have a you probably have a strong opinion one way or the other. Maybe you're immediately like, I hate this song. Let's move on. But it's got a hook. It's got something that is kicking off right at the beginning that's making you make a decision. And that's what all great pop songs have. So it's surprising to me that this wouldn't have been maybe the top, the first single off the album and put it put it at track two or something like that. But it, uh, it's just a lot of fun. And uh, the descriptions that you mentioned are so great. It's him at his best, you know? I don't... This is another one of those times where I'm just confused what it is people think people want or what record labels think people want, or whatever. I just feel like you've got a valuable asset here. Make some money off of it, you know? It's just sitting there, waiting to be made. It's it's a super catchy song, but in 1991, I don't see any chance of people taking it seriously and, and it being... Well, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Hart might have made a song like this on Brigade. It's not out of the realm of possibility that this would have gotten some airplay i don't think it's that far removed from what uh, everything else that was out there it would have had be a little top, bit but not much it would be top 40 radio instead of rock radio but yeah yes they're very very true yeah, yeah. this would have been that outlier if <laughs> someone told you this was co-written by desmond child you would believe it in sure. heart. Yes. yes good point yeah. yes yeah. yes yeah that's what it that's the kind of hooks it has it's like song doctor level hooks for sure uh, absolutely yeah, I like what you said about the emotion, DJ. The the one line that that I feel that drenched with is when I was hungry, you fed me your lies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you only write that line when you've lived something like that. Good point. I mean, that's a great line. And he also says, "There's another don't in here." Like when it when it breaks down there at the end, he's a, he does the now what say he says now wait say stop. Don't yes. say right. <laughs> Love another, that part. Yeah. So he's not. He's, there's another. Don't say it in here. It's another command not to do something. Mm-hmm. Add that to the list of don'ts. Billy don'ts. I actually have that in my notes. Stop. <laughs> don't say it. That part. I love. <laughs> yeah. I could. I, the other part of me, like I could see this. This is maybe a bit too. Uh, maybe not, because you got that meatloaf hit at this time, right? It, it feels yeah. a bit too too sweepy, too epic for. I think it's too a lot of things, but it doesn't matter. I, I love yeah. it, but it I is agree. too. It's too this and too that for sure. You know, it's really kind of over the top. 
in a lot of mm -hmm. ways, but... Nice. But yeah, I, I would do anything for love, love was a huge hit at around this same time, right? And yeah. this isn't any more ridiculous than that song, so... Absolutely not. Yeah. Say love. Now say love. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so moving on to the next song, Strange Fire. What do you think of Strange Fire, John Lamoureux? <laughs> <laughs> You're so good at this. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I like this I'm one a natural. Too. Yeah. You are a natural at this. <laughs> Delegating and everything, hosting. Um, I think it's great. I love the woo-hoos. You know, that kind of locomotive woo-hoos. It's so great. It's such a fun little accent or sprinkle of pixie dust that elevates the song. Without it, the song would be another kind of good but generic Bill Squire song. You you add in the woohoos and you you know put some reverb on those, and uh, suddenly this song makes sense on the radio. I think anyway. You know, I, I had a strange fire once, but I didn't write a song about it. I went to my urologist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, it's it's got all the Billy strengths, right? The fun interplay between the guitar and the rhythm that's, that he's just so good at, right? Especially when he can lay vocals that are, like, add to the rhythm, you know? Like, the melody becomes part of the rhythm, you know? And I think that can be really something special, and this is one of those, I think. Um, yeah, this is a good one. I could see, I could see this one being a, a single. Yeah, it's a classic sounding Billy Squire song. It's a fun song, good hooks. So there's definitely nothing wrong with this song at all. Uh, maybe swap Lava and this in the sequencing might have been a wise. Yeah. But, but yeah, I don't have a ton of notes about this one. It's just. Uh... No. I want to mix little up. accents make it fun. Yeah. I want to mix up my kind of lava and lava and then like Will Ferrell and Rachel Dratch into like some super mega lava. <laughs> I can do that. 
<laughs> just end it with him. And now it'll be right here. Is this now? It's right. Here. People are hearing it right now. Lava. Okay, so the last song, Alone in Your Dreams, another don't, parentheses, don't say goodbye. <laughs> um, I like when an, al when an album ends with a ballad. I think that's always, that's always a good way to end an album. This song, you know, it's g generic melodies, it, but generic because they're good. I, I, mm -hmm. There's like, one thing I noticed is the Crimson and Clover riff on the chorus. <laughs> Did I, you guys see I got this. I got the same exact note. Yeah. Like the, <laughs> something yeah. in the progression feels generic like Crimson and Clover. Yeah. Oh, that the yeah. riff is in, is there. The Crimson and Clover riff. Yeah. yeah. The review of the album on allmusic.com just nails him for that. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, I didn't see that. I really just heard neat. it. Yeah, I mean it's so obvious when everybody picks up on it <laughs> then mm -hmm. you've got a problem, mm -hmm. yeah. A lot of the songs that have been on here, we've mentioned the songs that they remind us of or harken back to, like the Stones riff and She Goes Down. It, it is a fairly well-known riff that he puts maybe a slight twist on, but it doesn't ruin the song for me. It might, I don't know. It, uh, two, it's two great things coming together. It's Billy and a riff you already know and like. It's chocolate and peanut butter, you know? It's not bad. Yeah, I don't think it's bad, I th and I think it was a fine way to end the album. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, yeah it's I I agree with everything you guys said. Um, it's it's a big ballad. It's a little more rich than the typical "I Love You" ballad, right? It's deeper. Again, it's mm -hmm. that thing that that we can't recollect where he said he's this he's going for the smarter, whatever that quote was of his. Mm -hmm. uh, but I like it. You know, this this might have been a single. I mean, maybe if it wasn't for the obvious hook. You know that, you know, maybe someone right. identified that, but you know, there's there's really lovely, like delicate background vocals in here that mm -hmm. work real well. There's a super interesting bridge, um, and uh, you know, again, he um, at the end he lists, you know, don't look back, don't say why, don't mm -hmm. say. He's got like, and then he says, don't, 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 yeah, like he's got he's got this infinite list of things he's going to tell you not to do. <laughs> But yeah, the pickup through the outro was just fantastic too. I like, mm -hmm. you know, like BJ said, when it's a good ballad that's, you know, sweeping and kind of like sends you off in a way to close a record, I think that's a, a, a smart way to close a record, a strong way, you know? Sure. Mm -hmm. Almost makes you want to flip it over and hit play again. Yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so overall, this is a really strong album, I think. I do too. I mean, there's what? only a couple of songs we've really had much criticism about. Most of the songs on this album are really strong. And, um, you know, that's that's what makes a good album more than anything. I mean, 
some songs are better than other songs, but you know, to, an album that's straight through, you can just listen to straight through and really enjoy the whole thing. This is definitely one of those records, and definitely mm-hmm. one that most people missed. You know, so yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah. I give it like four stars. You know, I'd give it like an eight out of ten. I think it's really strong. Yeah. Yeah, just to, not to put too fine a point on my last point about the the way the closing song is sweeping and it makes you want to flip it over and listen to it again. You know, if this if this is an album that you know, how can I get to this joke? If this is an album, that, <laughs> I was that, just thinking of the joke that too. Want, that you want to, uh, you know, you get to the end and it's so good that you just want to ingest it again. Like I would felch this record. Yes, exactly. <laughs> What's it called when people think really hard? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 